welcome. Thank you for being here and um, do take a seat. I think we have plenty of seats. We have some open seats up here in the front, especially. Uh, we are quite good at being back row, ba back row Baptist when we need to be. We are especially privileged to welcome uh, Father Victor Austin to be with us this day in our Advent series, which is called Connecting in Advent. And uh, Victor Lee Austin is a theologian in residence in the Episcopal Diocese of Dallas, where I previously served um, before moving to Tennessee. And he is also at Church of the Incarnation, Dallas. He has a, a special focus on ethics, and his writing spans the, the distance between parish and academy. But he has a particular interest in, in connecting the two uh, quite meaningfully and thinking about uh, theology in everyday life. He was married for 34 years to Susan Lanier Austin, who died in 2012. He wrote a theological memoir entitled Losing Susan, which was published in 2016. It's quite beautiful. He has two adult children and eight grandchildren. Is it eight grandchildren? Other books he's written include Up With Authority, Christian Ethics, a Priest Journal and Priest in New York, and then his most recent book is entitled Friendship, The Heart of Being Human, and he'll mention that uh, today. Before moving to Dallas, uh, Father Austin was the theologian in residence for St. Thomas Church, Fifth Avenue, and knows uh, some people here through that connection, and prior to that, he served parishes in Dutchess County, New York. He's taught at a number of seminaries, universities, and colleges. And once again, it is wonderful to welcome you here. Thank you for being here, Father Austin. It is, it is wonderful indeed to be here. It's a parish I've heard much about over the years. And uh, I feel like, wow, here I am. <laughs> it's uh, what a lovely place, and, and yesterday uh, Father Clint was showing me around uh, not only Louisville, but just your, your church itself, so um, awesome. Wonderful to see you. Um, I really like the title of this series, Connecting in Advent, um, and with, with regard to friendship, um, it seems to me um, it's a what do we mean connecting to friendship? Uh, that I think there are certain times in our life when that becomes more important. I think it's always important. I think it's the, I will be saying, the point of our life as a whole is to grow in friendship. Uh, to live as friends is, an, is in a sense, the, uh, the mark of a fully human life. But I, I would say, in particular, thinking of... Uh, the sorts of things that we often, that various people are going through at various times, but also what we've all gone together through in the last couple of years, a season of loss. Uh, and that friendship is really important following a season of loss. The Bible as a whole is a story about loss. Preeminently and foundationally, it's the loss of paradise. Uh, we live in a world of struggle. It's a finite world, a world of finite resources, sometimes scarce. Uh, we have to work hard. Um, 
life is full of labor and toil and struggle, and at the end, we die. Have a nice day, friends. <laughs> the Bible lays out in, in Genesis 3, God lays out for the initial men and women the consequences of the fall. He mentions labor and sweat, pain and childbearing, and so forth. In the great story that follows, uh, there's a lot of loss. There is slavery and other forms of servitude. There are plagues and disease and death that follow therefrom. There's also an often in life a sense that what is is not as good as what was. Um, when Israel is in exile, she remembers the, the previous life, and it's not as good. When, when they go back to, uh, to Jerusalem, they, they see how awful the temple is. What is is not as good as what was. The ruins of the temple, when they rebuild it, those who remember know that the new temple is not even a, a, a shadow of the glory of the earlier one. Sometimes what is might be better than what was, but that's not how it's perceived. Uh, shortly after the Israelites got out of slavery in Egypt, they were saying, oh, if only we were back in Egypt, the food was so much better there, <laughs> right? Um, so um, when we were going through the COVID pandemic period, the virus itself bringing uh, illness and death to so many, more than really anyone expected at the beginning, as it turned out. Um, the isolation, uh, the pathologies that have come about as side effects of lockdowns and things that were done to deal with the virus. All these things, all these things that we've been through in our lives in the various ways, they fit with the story that the Bible tells. God's role, we know, is to bring good out of loss, to turn death into life, to liberate the dead from their graves. When uh, Joseph uh, finally reveals himself to his brothers, uh, when they come to Egypt where Joseph is the right man, right-hand man for Pharaoh, when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, uh, they are... Uh, course, repentant for having sold them into slavery, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is always bringing good out of bad, life out of death, resurrection of Jesus is, of course, the, uh, the, the summit of all of this teaching. Now, my point today is that what was lost at its very root and what is promised at its very end. What we look forward to in terms of Christian hope is friendship. So let me unpack that for a little bit, uh, and then we'll have time for uh, questions from you, because uh, I'm sure it... <laughs> there are always questions. I love questions, um, because I don't have to be perfectly clear. Genesis chapter 2 is an amazing story. Uh, it, it, just to remind us, it's where God, uh, the, the, the creation is initially dry, and there's nothing growing. And one of the reasons there's nothing growing is that there's no human being to t 
till the ground and to get the stuff that's in the ground out. And so God creates that first man, Adam, Adama, from the, from the dirt, a hummus, a human, a humble thing. He's made from the dirt in order to get the stuff that's in the dirt out of the dirt. Uh, but uh, he's a remarkable fellow. And, and instead of putting him to work at that, after God has made him, God makes him a garden. As if he's more noble than expected. So now he has a garden, and God looks at it, and he says, it is not good that the man be alone. Shocking words, not good. Genesis chapter 1, again and again, we have good. God saw it, it was good. It was good, it was good, 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 good. Very good on the sixth day when God looks at everything. And now, shockingly, God says, not good. So the not good is to point our point us to something really important, and that is that human beings are meant to exist in plurality. In the story of chapter 2, recognizing that it's not good that he's alone, God creates all the animals and the birds and brings them to him one by one, and he names them, which is is something God does. So he's in the image of God. He's naming things. And then uh, then he... uh, but none of them work. None of them is the helpmeet that was intended. So what he needs is someone who's like him and yet irreducibly different. And that's what God provides uh, after he puts Adam into the sleep and, and creates the woman. After that, Adam refers to himself as a male and she a female. And the male and the female in a certain linguistic sense, they come into being at the same time there. In chapter 1, male and female, on the sixth day, they were created together. So we have here uh, a plurality, but the plurality is that we need others to be... uh, We're looking for something that we can only find when we have another who who is just like us, but is not us. Right. The, so the the to first off the male female difference there is just to say this is another human being and it's not you buddy it's somebody else, <laughs> right? So it's not it's someone who's irreducibly different and yet the same bone of my bone flesh of my flesh, interpreted in terms of marriage because there's only two of them, but after it's not necessary for us to see it in terms of marriage. Um, it is a truth about humanity in general. We don't exist singularly. We exist plurally. Um, that is to say, we exist in friends. The one who is, this is Austin now, but the one who is the other, who is like me and yet irreducibly different, is the other human being whom God has put in my life as a potential friend. And God willing, ultimately to be my friend, true of, true of all. It's lost um, in the fall, and the consequences of the loss of the friendship play out rather quickly and dramatically. In the next generation, there's fratricide. About seven ge- generations later, there's uh, sort of a almost terrorist uh, uh, rule that one guy boasts of. Um, it's lost, and it's not there in the story. Uh, we, we see the loss of friendship uh, through the Old Testament, 
Nonetheless, there are hints in the Old Testament of what friendship is uh, and can be. Uh, I think the best place, uh, because I'm a sort of honorary rascal, but I think the best place in the Old Testament is the book of Job. It is, in fact, the only place where other human beings are called friends. David and Jonathan, the famous pair of friends, that word is not there. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, not there. But Job. When the calamity falls upon Job, his friends, there are three of them, and they're named, they live in different places, they somehow communicate with each other, they hear of what's happened, they communicate with each other, and they arrange to get together and to go see him. And they... And, and so they, they, things turn south a little bit later, if, if, as you may know from the book. But initially they start off as doing what friends do, which is someone's in trouble, we come, we're going to offer comfort, we're going to be with him, we're going to do what we can. And then friendship is given back in Jesus. I think one could say that the point of the incarnation is to reestablish the possibility of friendship of us with God and of us with one another. And it's St. John who shows this, uh, actually, I think, uh, quite uh, strongly. The structure of St. John's Gospel is that there um, are five chapters given over to the Last Supper. Uh, We receive the book in 21 chapters. Um, Five of those are the Last Supper, 13 through 17. Uh, In chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, and he has lots of things he teaches them, and in chapter 17, he prays for them. So all of that happens in the upper room before they go out into the garden. It's huge. It's like 20-25% of the Gospel of John is what happens in one evening. It's a carefully constructed uh, piece of material, and right at the center of it is this. Jesus says to them, um, you are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because everything I received from the Father, I've given to you. And he also says, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. So, the night before he dies, Jesus is interpreting his death on the cross as no greater love, namely laying down his life for his friends. He has named and addressed the disciples as his friends. And he identifies the substance or, or a, a mark of friendship, not only that he's, he's willing to die for them, but that he has shared with them everything he received from the Father. We could say that friends are people who share a common mind. Um, that, you're, um, that they understand each other sort of from the inside. So, and there's nothing here, it's, a, it's an intimate French, intimate relationship that Jesus has with the disciples. Nothing is held back, nothing is kept secret, it's all shared with them, and he's going to die for them, etc. Um, so, 
how do we practice friendship practically? I think, um, well, no, I'm sorry. Let me a little bit more on John. Um, though, in um, what he does there at the Last Supper, plays out the the Good Shepherd, which we have in John chapter ten. Uh, because in in ten, Jesus says the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we've got the laying down of his life there. Uh, he also says that he knows the sheep by name, and he uh, and that they follow him. Uh, because he knows them by name. So friend is not used in chapter 10, but we see those same elements as in chapters 13 to 17, particularly 15, the laying down his life um, for them. And uh, he says, I lay down my life and I have power to take it up again, Uh, which is what he does when he's washing the feet. He lays down his outer garment while he washes their feet and then he takes it up again. Laying down his life, taking it up again. The good shepherd. And then in John chapter 20, uh, which is the chapter of the resurrection, Mary goes to the tomb early that first Sunday. Uh, she finds the body's gone. She's worried that someone has stolen or placed the body some other place. We don't know where. Someone, they've taken away the body. We don't know where it is. It's what she keeps saying again and again. She runs back. She uh, tells the disciples, Peter and John run to the tomb. They see what they see. John believes. They then go back. They apparently run right past Mary, and they don't notice her. She's standing outside weeping. She looks into the tomb, and she sees two men inside the tomb, angels. And one says to her, uh, or they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. There's a voice behind her. It's Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus. He says, woman, why are you weeping? She says, if you've taken away his body, thinking he's the gardener, maybe we put the body in the wrong place. We're sorry. Tell us where he is. We'll take care of it. <laughs> um, tell us where, where he is. And then he says to her, Mary, and she recognizes him, and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then she goes and tells others. Jesus had said about the good shepherd that there are other sheep not of my fold and, and they need to come in also. And here's the, Mary Magdalene may have been in the background at the Last Supper, but she's not one of those disciples that Jesus had as his group, the core group there. But here she gets added on. Mary, she becomes the friend, the first in this expansive circle of friends. So it's sort of like the cross becomes an explosion of friendship into the world, the possibility of friendship, and it's then spread throughout the Christian fellowship through the rest of time. So again, as I started to say practically, um, I think the friends of Job show us uh, that to be a friend is to, um, uh, in this world, where we exist finitely, is not going to be yet part of a large group. Job has a small group of friends, three. It's more than a pair. It is intrinsically open to expansion. In the event with Job, the suffering is so severe that they merely sit with him. They are not able to comfort him. The word comfort means strengthen, you know. Fort is inside comfort. Uh, So the word means to strengthen, but they're not able to strengthen Job at the beginning of the book. 
they're not a, they don't say anything, but they do not offer false words of comfort. Um, friends don't have to find words that are adequate to the situation that the friend is in. Just to be there is to be the friend, not to offer the false comfort. The friendship that's on offer that we share in is friendship in Christ, with God, and with others. Job wanted a kind of friendship with God. Job wanted to talk with God. He, all the, he didn't understand what was happening, and he wanted to talk with God. And he, he, he draws on such images as, as come to him. He asked God to appear in court. If only you would appear in court, and then we could reason together. We could, you know, you could pray, make your case, I'll make my case. We could, then we could be talking to one another. He just wants to talk to, with God. Um, and God rewards him for that. God does talk to him at the end. And God says to Job's friends, Job spoke rightly about me. So his, he then prays for his friends. And the final scene of the book of Job is one of the most uh, cozy, warm, friendly places in the Bible. All of Job's uh, acquaintances come to him, his friends, his family. Uh, they bring him gifts. And they comfort him. The text says they comforted Job. What was impossible at the beginning is possible at the end. They comforted Job over the evils that the Lord brought upon him. It's not a whitewashing of what was done. These bad things did happen, but they are able to comfort him. There's a place for human beings to live in friendship together in a world that remains, in the book of Job, strange and frightening and beyond our comprehension. Nonetheless, there's a place, there's a hearth, there's a place of communion where the friends can be together, and that's wonderful. I think uh, Advent draws us towards, and reminds us of, is a chance to reconnect with the supreme importance of friendship. We should, of course, be gentle with one another. We should offer concrete strengthening for one another. And sometimes that means saying things that are hard to hear. The Job's friends were not wrong because they disagreed with him. They were wrong because they didn't want to talk with God. Um, so the friends will sometimes disagree, and sometimes a friend will say to me something that I need to hear. That's not out of the picture here. This concrete strengthening, but it's, there is still joy in the midst of all this. Friendship has a characteristic of joy in the midst of the world. And also because Jesus is our friend. You know how... Uh, 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 the friend of my, if I've got two friends, I want these friends to know each other. It's a common thing. You, know? you really have to meet this person, right? I like, I like you both. I'm sure you would like each other. That kind of, the, the expansion of friendship. Uh, this sort of thing we do just naturally. Well, Aquinas says it's like that with God. Uh, and that in, um, in this world, we have finite time and it 
and friendship is not just um, something that happens because you pushed a button on a certain social media program. <laughs> friendship is something that takes time, and you need to, to spend time with someone. And so we only have so much time. So we can't have a lot of friends in this world. Uh, but uh, when that characteristic of life is changed in the life to come, then all the friends of Jesus will be friends with all the friends of Jesus. Heaven is like this great, I mean, so it's perhaps this great introduction party. I, you know, meeting the friends of Jesus and, all, and becoming, in reality, friends with all the friends of Jesus. Which means, in this life, that every person I meet is someone who is potentially a friend in the life to come. But perhaps if things work out in this life too. And that's because every person is offered friendship with Jesus. I could say a lot more, but I, let me stop there and, and invite comments or questions if you wish. Yes. Yeah, I'll repeat. What do you do if you have a falling out with a friend and you've tried for a long time to make restitution and it hasn't come? There, there may come a time where all you can do is to turn it over to God and put it into God's time. Uh, and, and, you know, so leave it in your prayers and keep it in your hopes. Um, but maybe there's nothing that you are concretely beyond that called to do in this life. Yeah. Yes, because sometimes wounds are so hard in this life that there's nothing that we can do to, to turn it over. You know. And that might be our fault, but it might not be our fault. And it's just, yeah. yeah. It requires medicine of eternity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the question is about this saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, something that might particularly be said to young people. What do I think of that? Uh, the ancients were clear that one, ne one needed to be careful about who one chose as friends because uh, they had a sense that once you, you made that commitment, you were committed to that friend, for, for, and that you wanted your friend to be a good person, who would make you a better person, in a sense, so that you were both committed to goodness. Um, and it is true that if we are drawn, that we, we can't, there can be, we can be drawn to people that perhaps we should be cautious about making them our friends because what draws us is not the good. Because we're sinners as well, and so we could be attracted to certain vices, um, perhaps of drink, perhaps of gossip, perhaps of things like that. And so to be sharing with another human being in stuff that's not good is not going to be good for either of us. Um, the 
The question is, I suppose, where does Jesus play in this friendship? Are we both friends of Jesus who are getting to, perhaps getting to know each other? That's sort of thing. Um, so I would say um, with all our friends, we want always to be drawing closer to Jesus, and that's kind of the work that's before us. And we're always, always sinners too. So it's, it's never... The great thing about Christianity was that you didn't have to be good to be a friend. <laughs> you didn't have to already be a really great person. You know, they, they worried about this. Uh, Cicero's dialogue on friendship is, um, I think his name is Scipio. He gets... He gets, it's a story about a story that's being told in the dialogue. And it's this someone who had a really famous friendship and everyone knew about it. And it was the sort of thing that happens maybe once in a hundred years. And Montaigne, uh, in this matter, not at all a Christian, right? He has an essay on friendship and he says he had a great friendship with this fellow for about four years. And it's the sort of thing that happens once on the planet every 200 years. Now, friendship is that rare, you know. What hope is there for us? But that's sort of the ancient view was it, was it was extremely rare. But Christianity explodes it because Jesus offers friendship to everybody and we understand repentance and forgiveness. We understand how, at least potentially, people can change and grow and things so that a friendship that might be shaky can still be a friendship that's that's growing and, and so forth. You know, anyway, long answer for a good question. Right. Do you think the relationship between Jesus and Christ is more important than the relationship between intimate friendships? The relationship between intimate friendships uh, people we're close to, and big world problems. Now, are you thinking, well, the first thing I'm thinking about, I don't know if this is what you're thinking about, is how um, political affiliation can be really hard for a friendship. That can, yeah, it can play out that way. Yeah. I think the reason I'm asking is where do you put your energy? Where do you put your energy? Yeah. Um, Gene... Schaefer, I think it's near Jeannie Schaefer, wrote a book about 2017 called I Love You But I Hate Your Politics. <laughs> She's a psychologist um, and has a practice in New York and just discovered all kinds of people were coming to her with problems in their relationship. I don't know what happened in 2016. Maybe someone can figure it out. But it was like, Bizarre how all this was falling apart. Well, the kind of neat thing about the story is that she is the wife of Richard Brookheiser. Richard Brookheiser is a longtime senior editor of National Review and a right-wing uh, talking head sort of guy. And she's, uh, she's a far-left liberal. Um, and they've managed to be married for decades. Uh, so, so she has things to say about it and, you know, Clearly, earthly politics is at best penultimate. And friendship in Jesus, you don't get more ultimate than that. Right? So, uh, you know, I was married for 34 years to Susan. Um, and though the wedding vow is, till uh, death do us part. That's what we promised. So, 
about a week after she had died, Christmas Eve, day before Christmas Eve, I took off my wedding ring. When I start to, I feel like I'm reaching for it right now. It's not there. <laughs> um, it's, um, uh, and so, so some of you will know Father Spurlock. He's a dear, dear priest. Uh, when I was telling him this, he said, how do you feel about that? <laughs> it was such a gentle guy. Um, but what I, felt, what I realized over time was that um, what I was saying then was the marriage is over. Because uh, that was the vow. But the friendship isn't over. This is what has, I've grown into since then. And that the, I mean, we don't um, send emails to each other. <laughs> uh, there's no phone conversation. Uh, no seance is going on. But uh, the friendship is there waiting for us to meet again and to just pick up on it, right? So, so that'll be special. And I think every friendship, whether married or not, is special that way and is it's eternal. I've, I have, my book, Friendship, is uh, published by Baker Academic, and they gave it the subtitle, The Heart of Being Human, which is a little pun, right? The heart of being human. Uh, so I, I, you know, book publishers, that's why you have them. They give titles that are nicer than the titles you thought of. <laughs> but the title I wanted was The Long Game. So I want to say friendship is the long game. If you want to invest in what's going to last and last and last, there's nothing more worth your investment than friendship. Uh, So that's the piece of this life that goes on past death into eternity. Father Austin, I've got a question. um, First of all, thank you. I, I just find that the church so rarely talks about a theology of friendship, yeah. um, even though it's something that affects each of us uh, in very intimate uh, and daily ways. So, um, thank you. And I, I guess I'm wondering if you might speak to the issue of... Um, a lot of people have been writing about loneliness yeah. and an increase in loneliness and isolation. Um, and in particular, uh, others have spoken to uh, male loneliness, mm-hmm. and uh, especially among kind of middle-aged men. And there's a lot of data and stats around this. I wonder if you came across this in your research, and I wonder if you might speak to that. And what can the church? What can the church do about that? Yeah, the um, it's it's real uh, as far as I can tell the data, and also my sort of. Uh, random talking with people, it seems to be quite real, the increase of loneliness. Um, And in America, in uh, the last, um, you know, within our lifetimes, it's not been the case. It's been easier for women to be friends with other women than for men to be friends with other men. My hunch is that such things are not... Uh, permanent or eternal or built into our genes, but that they're just um, that those are characteristics of social patterns. But anyway, that's that's those social patterns are there and they affect us. Um, so all of us need to be um, uh, to be on the alert about this. Uh, and I encourage people to uh, 
to pray uh, about friendship, um, to recognize that God is always wanting to give us new friends, um, to ask uh, what concrete actions I might take that might lead towards or build build an existing friendship, so maintain it, build it, or perhaps lead towards a new friend. You know, uh, if you take inventory and you say, who are my closest friends? Uh, like, who are the people I'm actually spending time with? And, and, and when we spend that time, we are, uh, you know, faith is, is uh, or, or our heart is, is like right there. Our, we're being open with one another. That's kind of open, vulnerable, that sort of thing. Um, who are those people? And how can, um, you know, so those are there. Uh, what can I do incrementally, concretely, like putting, looking at the next month, where on my calendar might I put some time for, for friendship? That's sort of, you know, get it down to the practicalities, put something for, you know, maybe arrange to have lunch with somebody that I want to work with. You know, I'm just randomly, all that stuff. Um, and I think... Um, uh, I don't need to tell this to a church that's, that's doing it in uh, implicit ways, but I think every church in the country, even little places that uh, struggle to have 12 on a Sunday, offer to people in the, the world around the opportunity of friendship. And it's like this, this strikes me as could be a marketing scheme, you know. When a friend, try church. <laughs> uh, yeah, here's a bunch of, and so, you know, someone new comes to church, people who are already there say, ah, oh, maybe this is a friend God has sent us, right? Uh, all of that. When, when, when a group gets together in a church to do some task, worship, social, uh, service of whatever sort, that group is has as a subtext of what's going on friendship. Right, the altar guild is you're, you're working with other people on the altar. You're working together on something that's a common task. You're getting to know one another. Friendship is a subtext that's going on there. So it, it's just it's everywhere in the church. Uh, and, and it's also, you know, we, we could probably teach more about, about this and, and offer um, ways to help people grow in friendship with God uh, as well. Yeah. I am... Um, uh, yeah. Questions? Yeah. It's over here. Yes. 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 Well, um, there are, it just happens in life, it seems to me, because people move or people die, uh, that the number of friends. I have it sort of tends to diminish over time. This is a danger of aging, of course, is that 
Um, my father used to say, a lot of my friends are lying horizontal six feet below ground. You know? um, their bodies are there, but of course not. But anyway, uh, so, the, so the, 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 the openness to new ones. But with regard to friends who move away, um, I just love the way um, a friendship can go on hold, even a, a sort of a really good friendship. Not that I've decided or we've decided we're putting it on hold, but it just happens. You just realize that that's what's happened. Um, and you can have a friend that you've had for decades and, um, uh, but during those decades, maybe you would see each other every two or three years, maybe five years. You might talk occasionally on phone, but not, but every time you meet, every time you talk, it's like it was only yesterday when you last talked to each other, right? It seems to me everyone understands this phenomenon. So that is one way it, within temporality that we have more friends, is that at any time we've got a, some friends who are really important to us, but we're not spending active time with them because, for various reasons. That's a good word. I, I can repeat is you know, parents are often overwhelmed with lack of time for friends and uh, the, the word is we just need to make time for that, yeah. And sometimes you can do, you know, that you're at, um, your uh, child is playing ball or something and so while you're watching that you're making friends with other parents, things like that. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. 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 So, right, we can be very sorrowful for things we've done, which have harmed a relationship and its a friendship and and there doesn't seem to be anything we can do about it. But Jesus is our friend, right? And what a friend we have in Jesus, our, our blank and blank to bear, our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So prayer is like talking to a friend. Prayer is, you know, here I am. Right. I think we're I think we're done. But thank you so much, um, Father Austin, and um, and uh, I encourage you all to check out uh, his book Friendship, and you can just see it online, Amazon, and um, it's been a joy to have you. We'll see you next week. Uh, we're going to welcome Dr. Tony Baker from Seminary of the Southwest, who will talk about connecting to creation. <laughs>